0: Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The Head Start Early Education Program for kids in poverty has been around a long time. And as long as it's been around, supporters say it's never had the level of funding required to meet the need. A lack of funding is coming to a head in Alaska, where several programs that serve a high percentage of Alaska Native children might have to close. We'll hear about the merits of early education programs for Native children and how they're being implemented right after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Broadband access is a top concern among many tribal citizens across the country. The topic was addressed at the National Congress of American Indians annual convention Tuesday in New Orleans. As Rhonda Lavaldo reports, attendees also discussed technology and data collected, managed, and applied responsibly in Indian country.
2: Indigenous data sovereignty and governance was a packed session The session talked about how tribes could model the gila river indian community the tribe located in arizona started its own telecom company governor stephen Rowe lewis talked about how he was impressed by seeing his own people being taught about the telecom industry and its economic impact which he says can be helpful for other nations this
3: is a moment that could be a digital movement across indian country and it's important that tribes and tribal leaders take advantage of this moment.
2: Former Federal Communications Commission Chief of the Office of Native Affairs and Policy, Jeff Blackwell, talked about the importance of digital sovereignty for tribal nations. You
3: are preparing yourself to assert your sovereignty in the cyber world,
4: that you are beginning to understand, to address all of these areas, network, Governance, participation, authority.
2: Blackwell was recently announced as NCAI Chief of Staff and told the audience NCAI would provide an outlet for tribes to get connected with ways to navigate how to get started with digital sovereignty. And federal funding may also be a way for tribes to improve access to broadband. This is Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News.
1: More than $9 million has been approved for a project incorporating Native American management practices for oak habitat restoration in Oregon. As KLC's Brian Bull reports, this includes cultural burns.
0: The USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service awarded the money, which will go to the Oregon Agricultural Trust and its partners. Kavoka Jackson is a program manager for the Eco Studies Institute, one of the partners, She's done controlled fire operations based on how indigenous people did for ages,
3: blending ancient practice with modern methods.
5: Use of cultural fire, traditional fire on the landscape, which usually entails people who are trained or have the wildfire qualifications. That usually entails fire trucks or water resources,
0: the use of drip torches, other hand tools. The project also seeks to permanently protect designated oak savannas and woodlands and give Native Americans access to them for cultural use and environmental stewardship. The priority area for this project are Lane and Lynn counties. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull.
1: U.S. Senator Mark Wayne Mullen made headlines after a heated confrontation with a witness during a hearing about unions Tuesday in the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. The senator from Oklahoma challenged Sean O'Brien, the president of Teamsters, to a fight. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay,
6: that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now.
1: Well, stand your butt up then.
6: You stand your butt up.
1: Oh, hold on. Oh, stop it. (laughs) Is that your solution right. every poll no, no sit
3: down know you're United States Senator sit oh, okay, okay sit down please
1: all right the exchange happened after Mullen held up several pieces of paper reading critical tweets from O'Brien made at the senator the two threw insults at each other for several minutes as Senator Bernie Sanders chair of the committee tried to calm the situation and then proceeded to move the hearing forward. Mullen, an enrolled member of the Cherokee Nation and first Native American to serve in the Senate in nearly two decades, is a former MMA fighter and challenged O'Brien to a charity match next year. In an interview with Fox News, Mullen defended his action, saying he's a guy from Oklahoma and was responding to O'Brien. I'm Antonia Gonzalez.
0: NATIONAL NATIVE NEWS IS PRODUCED BY KELWANAK BROADCAST CORPORATION, WITH FUNDING BY THE CORPORATION FOR PUBLIC BROADCASTING.
3: SUPPORT BY AARP. AARP CREATES AND CONNECTS PEOPLE TO UNIQUE TOOLS AND PROGRAMS, HELPS CONSERVE PERSONAL RESOURCES, AND TACKLES ISSUES THAT MATTER MOST TO INDIVIDUALS, FAMILIES, AND COMMUNITIES. MORE AT AARP.ORG. SUPPORT BY DRUMMOND Woodsum a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com.
0: Native Voice 1, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The federal Head Start program appears to have avoided major spending cuts in a bill just approved by the U.S. House of Representatives to avoid a government shutdown. But that doesn't mean the program that aims to boost outcomes for children in poverty is thriving. In its nearly 60 years of existence, it has never achieved funding to adequately cover the number of pre-kindergarten children eligible to use it. In Alaska, a number of Head Start programs, many with Alaska native language and cultural connections, are in danger of closing because the state won't put in the money required to leverage the federal funding available. Today, we'll hear about what Head Start does and doesn't do for native preschoolers. We'll look at some of the research, its effectiveness, and what the future might look like as Head Start enters its 60th year. Please join our conversation by calling one 800 996-2848. Our first guest today is joining us from the Hoopa Valley Reservation, Lola Henry. She is the manager and director for Hoopa Tribal Head Start. Hello, Lola. Welcome to the show.
5: Hey, um, uh, Lola Kadu Henry. And I said, hello, good morning. And I am Lola Kadu Henry. Um, I'm the Head Start manager I've been here 41 plus years since my daughter Lacey started preschool when she was three. So um I'm happy to be here in um supporting all the Head Start programs.
0: Lola, appreciate that introduction and the Hoopa language. And as you mentioned, you've worked with Head Start for more than forty years. Tell us, how has the support for the program been during those four decades?
5: Uh I I WOULD LIKE TO SAY THAT um, OUR TRIBAL COUNCIL, WE USED TO BE IN A BUILDING AND OUR TRIBAL COUNCIL WAS RIGHT THERE IN THE SAME BUILDING WITH US AND SO um, I'D LIKE TO THROW OUT A GOOD SHOUT OUT TO THEM BECAUSE THEY'VE ALWAYS BEEN SUPPORTIVE OF OUR PROGRAM WITH OUR NEEDS AND WHENEVER WE'D HAVE TO GO TO A COUNCIL MEETING AND um, REQUEST THINGS THEY'VE ALWAYS SAID YES. THEY'VE NEVER EVER TOLD US NO. Um, THEY'VE BEEN SUPPORTIVE THROUGH all these years being right there and making sure that our program is running.
0: And what about other levels of support? Federal support or perhaps state support? Are are you getting what you need from those folks?
5: Um, We don't get state funding here. Um, We just get our federal dollars um, through Office of Head Start. Um, We stretch those out like other Head Start programs and we try to make the most of it. And of course you know, all the tribal Head Start programs are—they um, just need money for um, building repairs, maintenance to um, grow. That um, we need that kind of funding, and um, you know, the National Indian Head Start Directors Association is one of our key boards that um, rally for us in um, in Congress and. Washington, D.C. and changing things and advocating for all the Native programs. And I sat on that board a couple of times. Um, But they're significant to the Indian programs um, in getting our needs met.
0: And Lola, how many students do you serve there at the Hoopa Tribal Head Start? And what do you hear from families in terms of feedback? Are they happy with how the programs run?
5: Um, Yeah, we do a couple of surveys every Um, About three years, we do surveys. Overall, um, we get good feedback um, on the services. You know, uh, people are going to work, they need our services. We have, we changed some part day program into full day slots, so the kids are here all day to meet the needs of the community. And, you know, we do our community needs assessment, and that was an issue that there just wasn't nowhere to take children and um, childcare. So, We have 52 center-based children, and we have eight home-based. So we have a normal 60.
0: 60, okay. And how does that work then, the difference between uh, the the kids that are home-based as opposed to the other students? Is that a completely different uh, model there for how the Head Start program is run?
5: Yes. Um, Of course, the kids come here, and they're here all day. Um, The teacher will go into the homes and do curriculum with the kids there and then they will come once a month and do center-based visit and socialization with the other kids. Um, We just started this um, home-based model um, and um, they get homework and of course right now we're, um, I think we're six slots, we are um, not enrolled fully. So we got a letter from Office of Head Start saying we need to get our enrollment up to 90%. So um, the COVID really took us back like 10 years, I think, um, just because of we couldn't. Our parents come into the center; they had to bring their child to the door. The child had to take their temperature before they went to the classroom. They had to wear masks. We didn't have events for um, people. So. The communication, I think, um, was really hard. We do. We have a, a program called Bite Will that you can go into this app and communicate. But I just feel like you know we're starting from scratch again because of COVID and struggling because people are. We still have COVID here on the reservation.
0: Hmm. And and because of COVID, then so parents are just more comfortable keeping their kids at home. Is is that? Yes. Okay. Yes. And then so the, had, the home you know, based program.
5: Several people pass away here.
0: From oh, yeah, COVID, I'm sorry. So. So, okay. Yeah,
5: so it's it's scary still, and you know I understand that, but you know a lot. i not. I'm not. Everybody nationwide is getting COVID all over again, and some people aren't, and that's good. But yeah, we're um we're we need to get some more slots, and then if we don't, then we have to come up with a plan and how we're going to do that and do interviews with Office of Head Start. But um, okay. we're a small reservation.
0: Lola, in all your years now, going on 40 years, 40 plus years, how have you seen Head Start change there in HOOPA, as well as any other folks that you work with outside of HOOPA, other Native Head Start programs? Has it evolved and has it changed a lot over the years?
5: Yeah, um, we we are changing. Um, uh, I think we're more advocating the Native programs and more advocating for themselves. Um, and trying to change something. Because we had over 2,000 performance standards that we have to go by. And then um, those got reduced with a lot of help with the NISHTA Board. But we, um, we, our paper documents are, um, we're up to, you know, everybody in the federal government probably has to have documentation, but we are overloaded with that. Um, Teachers have to do a lot of paperwork. Now um, they didn't do as much before, but I see like the trends and I probably on all reservations because we got hit with babies being born to oxy um years ago. And then we had a trend of grandparents raising grandchildren. And then now we have a trend. We've got a lot of high autism children. And then, of course, now fentanyl has hit. So there's mm-hmm. trends. I think it's just everywhere that people in Native Country are seeing this happen, and um, it's sad, but be, having the kids here, they're safe, they get fed three times a day, and then they go home. And so, I'm I'm happy we're doing that. But I think most of the Head Start programs will tell you that you know whatever is happening in your community affects the kids and the families and then we sure, have to go sure. out and try to get them on board and do a family plan with
0: them. And overall, how well do you think Head Start is working in, in your community and other Native communities, Lola? Is there any research specific to, to Native families that gives us a better understanding of how effective it is?
5: You know, the only thing I do, and it's every year is I look at the graduation announcements um, in our local paper uh, all the graduates that are graduating and like over 50 percent of them are students from years ago and so for me I was like oh there's a there's a head start kid there's a head start kid and so that's the only thing <laughs> I do but I don't write down the data. I don't keep mm-hmm. track of it and um, but that's kind of a success right there of having so many kids and we actually have three, workers here that used to be head start children and it sounds like anecdotally
0: then anecdotally you do see a favorable trend then from the kids in your community that go through head start and and then go on to graduate high school yeah and we get that
5: feedback from the school too that they could tell which children went to head start and which ones didn't
0: oh they can i'm curious to know like how can they tell like is it just are they more engaged are they better students what
5: um, they're um, developmentally um, on key and on board because we try to, um, we do an assessment just like the uh, local school does here. And so we try to get them ready for those needs that the school wants them to know by the time they get there. So we work hard on that with our curriculum to get them to that level. When they start kindergarten, they'll be ready. Mm-hmm.
0: Head Start. That is our focus on Native America calling today. It is a Wednesday. And uh, for those of you who are listening to this show, and if you have any insights to share with regard to Head Start, maybe you went to Head Start, maybe you have a child or a grandchild who is a Head Start student, give us a call. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you know. Maybe you are somebody who went to a pre-K program or you have familiarity with pre-K. Tell us, uh, compare and contrast the two. What do you think is the difference between uh, pre-K as an option for a young child or a Head Start program? If you're qualified or if you have any insights with regard to a question like that, we'd sure like to hear your thoughts, your perspectives. The studio lines are open right now and our phone number is 1-800-996-2848. Federal Head Start programs uh, appears to have avoided a major spending cut with this new bill through the House of Representatives. So we're going to talk more about that and how Head Start uh, programs operate in different parts of the country, in different Native communities. We've got a wide range of guests on our show today from as far away as Alaska, of course, Hoopa, California, New Mexico as well. And we're going to hear from those other guests when we come back from this short break. So folks, please stay with us. Tribes in Minnesota are working with researchers to fight the spread of a fatal neurological deer disease. It's a unique collaboration to help stop a threat to an animal with cultural tribal significance. And what they learn might inform wildlife management elsewhere. We'll hear about chronic wasting disease on the next Native America Calling.
3: The Association on American Indian Affairs welcomes all to Tribal Museums Day, December 2nd through the 10th. Tribal museums may offer no cost or reduced admission, art markets, and cultural demonstrations. Tribal Museums Day honors Native nations as the experts of their diverse cultures. A map of tribal museums and more is available at Indian-Affairs.org slash Tribal Museums Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this show.
0: Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. We're talking about the Head Start program and how it operates in different Native communities. Do you have a child in Head Start? What can you share about your experience with Head Start? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our next guest is from the Bristol Bay Native Association. Anne Shade. Uh, She is actually in Albuquerque, New Mexico this week, though, attending the Tribal Early Learning Initiative. Anne is the Bristol Bay Native Association Child Development Department Director. Hello, Ann. Welcome to our show. Hi,
6: Sean. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Well, as we heard in our intro, it sounds like Head Start in Alaska is at a crossroads right now. Low enrollment and teacher shortages. What's causing these problems, Ann?
6: Um, well a lot of it is um uh, like Lola mentioned, you know, we're just kind of struggling to come back from the pandemic, but the main problem is um compensation for Head Start staff is um really low compared to what school districts um can offer. So we uh have we lose we've lost a lot of staff to local school districts and sometimes even to like um, uh, you know, baristas or, or other retailers they can make the same hourly wage doing those that kind of work than Head Start. And Head Start is is a lot of work. So if you can make coffee for the same hourly rate, um, it's it's a lot less work. So we've been losing um, workers to all kinds of different areas.
0: Now, has it always been that way? Has the, has the pay always had a struggle to, to be competitive there? Or is this a recent development with these jobs at Starbucks or other service jobs like you describe?
6: Um, It's always been that way, uh, but with the pandemic, it's gotten a lot worse uh, because of all the staffing shortages everywhere. Retailers have been able to increase their wages, and that kind of has the downhill effect for us of not being able to keep up with those increases. Additionally, the state of Alaska lowered the requirements for um, being a teacher in a school district, and so we've lost a lot of staff. Uh, to those programs, people who maybe have an AA or maybe not quite have an AA are now eligible to be certified teachers. Uh, so we've lost several staff members through that program.
0: And how are these issues impacting the kids in these programs and, and their parents and their families as well?
6: Well, we're facing um, a drastic threat of a, of decreased funding across the state. Uh, as Lola mentioned, she has an under enrollment letter and so do uh, about half of the grantees in the state of Alaska. So of those eight or nine grantees that have received that letter, the, the total potential loss to the state of Alaska is $12.5 million of federal funding. So although programs are in operation right now and there there's not a um, reduction in services, per se, they are very well could be a drastic permanent reduction if we don't figure out how to get this, all the programs in the state back to the 90 to 95% required enrollment.
0: Mm-hmm. And what happens to those, those children and those families if you don't meet that criteria?
6: Those programs will, will have to close classrooms. Um, right now, just in the Bristol Bay program, we have one classroom that's still closed because we haven't been able to find staff Uh, So those kids have no services at the moment, and that's the same story across the state. But, um, you know, if we don't figure out how to fix this soon, we're going to be in worse shape with a loss of $12.5 million.
0: Right, right. Thank you, Ann. I want to bring uh, another guest into our conversation now who is also in Alaska, Mary Ellen Fritz. And Mary Ellen is the Aleutian Pribilof Islands Association Department of Family and Community Development Director. She is Anupiak, And hello, Mary Ellen. How are you today? Looks like we don't have Mary Ellen on the line yet. Um, And I want to go back to you. So hearing with these issues with with the funding and what this means with regard to not having enough staff or teachers and not being able to keep these schools open is it as simple as just increasing the funding getting the dollars this shortfall taken care of or are there larger issues at work here with regard to some of these challenges facing Head Start programs that you work with in Alaska? Um, That's a great question.
6: Uh, there uh, it's mostly a staffing issue and a, and a wages issue, um, but we also are seeing a big out migration in our rural communities. So, um, just finding enough people to run the classrooms has also been a challenge. Some of our uh, remote villages have less than 500 people in them, um, and so it's just really hard to find qualified staff no matter what you pay them. Um, we've increased our pay scales at Crystal Bay Native Association in the last two years by 23 and a half percent and we're still struggling um, to find staff and we're still not being able to pay as much as school districts
0: let's go back to Mary Ellen now hello Mary Ellen are you there
7: Hi, Sean. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your call. And yeah, Annie and I work pretty close together. I think another huge problem um, nationwide for tribal programs is the eligibility requirements that are built into the federal performance standards. An example I'd like to give you is a single parent with one child making $24,640 a month um is over income for head start that's eleven dollars and eighty four cents an hour they're over income for head start the um, state of alaska fy 23 state minimum wage is ten dollars and 85 cents an hour which only gives you a 99 cent um differential for working parents so it is so hard to be eligible for head start because of the antiquated income guidelines In 2024, the state of Alaska, uh, minimum wage is going to be $11.73, which means there's an $0.11 differential for a single parent or their over-income for Head Start.
0: Okay. So, wow, $640 income uh, monthly income is enough to put you over the top and and not qualify if you're a single parent with one child. Um, So what does that mean in terms of percentages, Mary Ellen? How many... Kids are, are falling through, are unable to be eligible simply because their parents uh, are over income.
7: Well, it's very difficult in our rural and remote programs, pretty similar with Anne's program in uh, BBNA, because the cost of living, especially after COVID, has gone up two to 300% for goods and services. Um, an example is we spent two or four hundred dollars a month in two thousand twenty one for electricity we moved into a larger building and now our Heating bill alone is $2,000 a month with no increase in our operational funds. So, tribal programs across the nation are seeing this impact roll off in every area for utilities, for lease, for the cost of providing food to the children. Uh, of course, staff pay has always been an issue. But um, one good thing I'd like to offer to tribes is make sure you attend the tribal consultations for the Office of Head Start or send written testimony in from your tribal leader um, to explain the things that make it hard to provide head start in our communities. Annie and I have the same problem where we are under-enrolled, but it's because the cost is so expensive. We've had to close classrooms or not open classrooms because um, the cost of providing services with no increase in annual operation costs.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we hear so often with some of these challenges uh with alaska native communities the the remoteness uh just the the overall high cost of living and um mary mary ellen what do you see uh, in addition to to shoring up funding do you see any other solutions, possible solutions, to, to rectify these issues and, and make these Head Start programs not only more accessible, but also just more capacity to to uh, take care of, of more children and more families?
7: Yes, there's a wonderful solution. And um, about two years ago, our tribal leader here at Aleutian Pribilof Violence Association, Dmitry Filimonov, who's an incredible supporter of Children and our families and our remote communities um, work through our legislative office to provide a list of changes um, to the Head Start performance standards to have tribes have more determining um, power to make the changes to, to reach more families, making sure that tribal indirect cost rates are um, are accepted by the Office of Head Start and um, aren't tied to administrative cost limitations, making sure that we have that tribes have the ability to adjust their funding to increase the wages uh, for staff to keep them um, and, and to grow our own tribal staff. There are several programs with the state of Alaska that pay for the child development associate preschool teaching credential so it's free to tribes in Alaska. We want states to offer those kinds of services so that we can be compliant with standards and our teachers can have the qualifications.
0: Thank you, Mary Ellen and and Anne as well. Appreciate you both uh, providing some perspectives uh, for what you see up there in Alaska. Let's move, move on now to Bellingham, Washington, and we have Alicia Allard on the line. She's a Tribal Head Start Consultant and a specialist for Little Hawk Consulting. Hi, Alicia. Welcome to Native America Calling.
4: Hi. Good morning.
0: Well, it's good to have you. And I understand you were a Head Start parent. Uh, what was that like? How did that benefit your family and your child?
4: Yeah, so I've I've been on both sides. I I started as a Head Start parent and uh, actually followed the track of uh, then becoming a teacher and then eventually working my way up to a director position uh, and. Um, my experience uh, was, I think, really allowed me to see the program from uh, from the perspective of the families. And, and hearing the conversation right now, I, I was thinking of the experiences that I have seen um, as as a director during COVID, where I. Um, worked with a lot of my staff who had uh, the opportunities uh, because they had been working their way through their uh, their required training and education um, to complete their uh, their CDAs and and then working on college credits and they were offered promotions that they were reluctant to take because it would mean their income would increase. And then their mm-hmm. children wouldn't be eligible for Head Start anymore, um, and and additionally other benefits uh, through the state that were kind of keeping their family afloat, um, which you know is another conversation. But uh, but so um, I I think all of the program leaders have experienced that where um, you know once the uh, the entry level positions which uh, keep the program going. And, and that's the door that we want to keep open. Uh, once we really build, um, build those, those parents up and, and bring them in um, it can kind of be a catch 22 where they get to a certain level and then they, they stop being candidates for, <laughs> for the services. And so Um, I I really agree that that uh, that state funding, which we do have here in Washington, is is a is a great way to address that. Um, And and yeah, so my and my experience as a parent um, has has really allowed me to have that connection um, and and always kind of be thinking of both sides
0: of that. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's a uh, unique perspective. And well, as you share, Alicia, uh, state funding available for Head Start in Washington state. However, as Lola mentions, state funding is not there in the state of California. So uh, can you give us a a rundown of just how support for Head Start varies from state to state? Are there some places, some states that have no Head Start programs?
4: Well, uh, Head Start is a, a federally funded program that is available in, in all uh, states and territories. It's in uh, Puerto Rico and, um, and everywhere uh, um, it, throughout the, the United States and all territories. And, and it is, uh, varies from state to state and, and area to area. How uh, how the states want to f- um, support and fund that, which it really does lead to a lot of variability in how um, how those are integrated into existing state services, uh, connected and braided into childcare um, and and other early learning services. Um, one of the the kind of um, benefits that is uh, is built into the head start program is that it's not a cookie cutter it's not one size fits all where yeah. uh, every community every tribe uh, every um, every area gets to determine what is what services are going to best meet, meet those communities needs but then the the flip side of that is we all still have to meet those head start performance standards that lola referenced um and getting to that standard um when you are in a rural village in alaska or in uh you know navajo nation or in uh you know key west florida or you know um okay Everybody has different resources that they're dealing with. And so trying to keep a facility that is going to meet all the health and safety standards uh, is going to look very different uh, depending on what community that you're living in and what resources you have available, what staff you have available, what education resources you have access to. Um, And so that's where a lot of these challenges come in, in addition to funding. Um, And so... Um, while it is a service um, and, and funding is is available um, to all these areas, uh, that that's really I what I see working with uh, tribal nations all over the country. All right. That's where I see a lot of that um, conflict and the barriers start to arise.
0: Okay, Alicia, pre K. Uh, that that's another type of program for early childhood development. What's the difference between pre K and Head Start?
4: Well, Head Start is is preschool, but there uh, so there are numerous different approaches to early childhood education, and so uh, pre-K is kind of another term for preschool. Um, and then there's also there's childcare. Most uh, most some states have uh, licensed childcare. There are some states that don't have. Very stringent licensing requirements for childcare. Um, Washington state, where I live, has very robust licensing standards. They're very similar to the Head Start standards um, because they want to uh, really integrate the two programs. And and so, if you're going to operate a uh, licensed childcare in Washington state and have uh, early Head Start, which is for uh, children, infants, through age three, which is where Head Start services kick in. Um, you don't have to have kind of two sets of standards that you're working with. There you, so you don't have one inspector asking you to do one thing and another asking right. you to do another. Right.
0: Okay. We're going to have to take a, a, another short break, but I encourage callers, anybody with experience, uh, either with a child or you yourself perhaps have been in a Head Start program. Give us a call. Let us know your thoughts.
3: Lakota-made indigenous first medicines and eco-friendly personal care products are small batch prepared in the Lakota traditions using sustainably harvested natural and organic ingredients, and all can be found at LakotaMade.com who support this show. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from NativeScreenPrinting.com, a division of Sky Screen Printing, who support this program.
0: You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Join today's conversation by calling 1 800 996 2848. You can also comment on our social media pages like Facebook and Instagram. Let's go to the phones now. Chanupa, who is listening on Keeley in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Chanupa.
8: Hey, thank you, Sean. Hey, this is to Mary Allen and the other faculty that are trying to promote their education, you know, standards for Head Start and, you know, preschool. My late auntie, her name is Lima Rose Martin, and my baby sister, Denise Ramona Apple, and my own daughter, Trina Angeles, they used to use the field of education in Head Start as a tool of learning. And I just heard her say that they had to close a certain amount of school classrooms down. But here's the catch, and it can be done, uh, Mary Allen, it can. There is a jurisdiction remedy through the education field, okay, that is, you know, gives administration to enhance more participation and hiring people, okay? I led the protest here in Pine Ridge to save our head schools and all the uh, head starts in Pine Ridge. And there's a lady in Washington, D.C. that ran that program that came here, her name was George Sparks. If you ever get in contact with that grandma or the woman, if she's still alive, she will give you the basic necessities to use as a system to put that back in to help teachers again, a foothold to return back to the schools and help the, teacher, uh, the children overcome what's being neglected. Because if you know this as well as I do, that direct object is neglecting these kids to a better learning. And thank you for allowing these girls to do what they've done to protect our children. I do that here on the Ridge. Thank you, Sean, for my comment. Thank you, girls. Continue your work. Ha-ho!
0: All right. Well, thank you, Chanupa. And uh, Mary Ellen, I'm going to go ahead and let you respond to Chanupa. He mentions a, a solution perhaps for getting the staff in place at Head Starts. Does that sound like something that would work up in Alaska?
7: Well, I'm um Thank you so much for those wonderful comments. Um, I was blessed to work with Georgie Sparks for many years, and yes, she was an amazing, incredible advocate for our Native American children, being the chief of AIAN Head Start all those years. And she brought amazing, wonderful solutions to all of our tribes. Unfortunately, she's not with the Office of Head Start anymore, but we do have some new people in the Office of Head Start American Indian Alaska Native Programs Branch that we are working with to bring this to the table. The problem comes in is when um, the performance standards are federally regulated, when It's in Mm. in regulation, and it takes a long time to go through your legislators to change the the legislation piece. But uh, waivers are very difficult to come up with with the Office of Head Start. But my wonderful friend on the phone um, made some very good recommendations to always bring our concerns as tribal leaders to our um, colleagues in the Office of Head Start to find solutions to problems when they are like they are now.
0: All right. Thanks for weighing in, Mary Ellen. And I want to bring another guest into the conversation now. Joining us from Isleta Pueblo in New Mexico is Kathleen Sando. She is the San Felipe Pueblo Head Start Director. She's from Hamis Pueblo. Hi, Kathleen. Welcome to the show.
9: Hey Good morning. Um, this is Kathleen. Yes, I am from Hamis Pueblo. And I've been the Head Start Director at San Felipe for going on three years, but I've been in Head Start uh, since 2002, on and off.
0: Okay, so 20 years. And Kathleen, what's your thought? How effective is Head Start uh, there for Pueblo families in New Mexico?
9: I think it's very critical for families in tribal um, communities to have this Head Start program. It's, It's an opportunity for all the children to... Um, get a foundation uh, not just culturally however um, their native language is very critical um, more so nowadays since some of the tribes are losing their language so having head start in place in these communities is very um, key for families to for their children to receive an early education um, while their parents or the families go to work um, And also, uh, a lot of these tribal programs are culturally relevant and strong in their traditions, and they wanna maintain that foundation for their children because also Head Start creates that self-identity, the self-confidence of who they are, uh, where they come from. And so nowadays, Head Start programs are leaning more towards uh, remaining culturally relevant and revitalizing their native language and uh, keeping it stronger.
0: Well, that, that all sounds wonderful, Kathleen. And, and, and maybe if you mm-hmm. could just give us a sneak peek here. Take us inside what a typical Head Start classroom looks like there at San Felipe Pueblo. And, and how are those cultural connections being made for these young children?
9: Well, coming into the program, um, the majority of the staff uh, do speak the Karis language. Uh, They're very fluent, so they are greeted and welcomed as soon as they get on the bus. Uh, So the native language begins at that moment. So walking into the Head Start, teachers are, you know, welcoming and greeting them also in the language. And that begins the whole day, the whole day for the children to communicate in the language, um, to socialize, uh, learn the basics of, of the language. Uh, whether it's, um, yeah, they're the basic concepts of colors and letters and things like that. However, some of the teachers that are immersed in the language uh, utilize pictures like corn uh, or chili, things like that, and they uh, use those words to translate. It's not always about ABCs, one, two, threes, so they use their um, cultural language other traditions in their instruction on a daily basis, and every season is different in every um, culture. So at San Felipe, they utilize what's you know what's happening right now at the moment, there... like November. Yeah.
0: Okay, and there at San Felipe I mean we heard from some of the other communities that that head start is often uh, a, a way for for parents to have child care if they're working two parent families working perhaps uh is that the case there in San Felipe as well, or are there some folks that bring their kids there for child care or, or is it more from a early childhood development perspective that they're sending their kids to head start at san felipe um
9: it's It's an early childhood development program, however. The way San Felipe is structured is they have a, a home-based child care where the parents or uh, their provider, child care providers provide services at the home for their children. Um, so, and, and the children that are three to five-year-olds, are they attend Head Start. There's not a child care center, however, that's in the plans this coming year. Um, and being at the uh, part of the tele, as one of the ladies mentioned, uh, we're trying to coordinate um, servicing efforts to combine services for child care as well as Head Start. And many programs already have an early Head Start program and a child care So they already have that in place. So, Sample AP has um, home based child care services.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Kathleen. This is, this is really mm-hmm. helpful information. And I, I want to bring another guest, uh, our, our, our last guest in the conversation now, who's also in New Mexico. Joining us from Isleta Pueblo is Andrea Pacina, and she is the Executive Director for the Isleta Pueblo Head Start and Child Care Program. She's a member of Isleta Pueblo. Andrea, I appreciate your patience. Thank you for joining us today.
10: Good morning, everyone. My name is Andrea Pesina. Um I am from the Pueblo Baslada. I've been a Head Start employee for going on 19 years. Um, I am now the executive director for the program. Um, and like we stated before, Head Start is one of those most essential programs and although it is federally funded, it is actually chronically underfunded and under-resourced. Um, and like we were stating, and everybody has stated, um, eligibility and availability vary from state to state. Um, but I think there's that gap throughout the whole nation.
0: Okay. So, Andrea, are you folks there, sleda are you struggling with some of these same challenges we're hearing about in Alaska and other parts of the country with uh, not being able to secure enough staff, funding issues, other challenges?
10: Yes, we are also, we also did um, receive a um, letter from the Office of Head Start um, for being under-enrolled. And for our program, we are classified under the American-Alaska Native and do have those flexible funding accomplishments. But like the one of the ladies stated earlier, there's that. um, federal guideline of the poverty guidelines, so many of our families don't fall under that. And with the Head Start regulations, we're required to meet those maximum um, thresholds for income. So it's one of those things you either have to choose if you're gonna be federally under-enrolled or if you're gonna um, enroll somebody too many that are over-income and it's finding that balance between all the different regulations.
0: Okay. Andrea, so what happens to a family or specifically to a child whose parents are just a little bit over income? So they're not eligible for the Head Start program there at Little Pueblo, but they really need the program either for child care or just they really want their child to participate. Maybe they can't afford to go out and send them to some sort of a private academy or something like that. What are the options for a family like that?
10: So for our program, we're fortunate in that aspect because we do also get funding from our CCDF program, and our CCDF program funding is a little bit more flexible. So what we try to do is try to make the CCDF funding flexible enough that we're able to enroll our um, families that do not qualify for Head Start. Um, But in the same aspect, we try for our program, it's a little different because all of our programs are under one roof. They're all run the same way. Um, they follow kind of the same curriculum, the same um, language and everything that's used in the program. But at the same time, which then on the other hand, with child care providers, we, they do require different um degrees and schooling and that kind of thing so in our program we're trying to work on making them equal to teachers um, but Mm -hmm. it's just coming together and finding that guideline because then if we're going to make them equal to teachers then we got to make sure across the board that we're paying and we're having that fair accessibility um, with them and then getting them put
0: through school and college so with that additional funding andrea are are you able to serve all of the families that, that apply to Head Start, or are you still having to turn some people away?
10: Well, um, there are times we do have to turn some people away. Um, and like I said, because even though they are a little bit more flexible, they also have income guidelines as well. And um, being a part of the National Directors Association Board, It's one of those things that we've been advocating for Head Start to change those income guidelines and make, I know we've come a little ways with them changing the performance standards, then making them a little bit more cultural relevant. But there's some that are just still there that hold us back from kind of just leaving it open to all the children and families.
0: Okay. Well, obviously, this is a challenge here, and I'm sure it's political with regard to how these eligibility criteria are are met. And I want to ask you, Andrea, as well, because Head Start, of course, began as a Johnson administration initiative to put federal money toward helping families, uh, low-income families in poverty. And do you see, is there any stigma that you face with Head Start? And if so... Uh, does it create challenges w- when trying to get some of these policies changed, like we're talking about today?
10: Um, there is because it's. It, they keep going back to um, like it is made for low income. It is made for, but at the same time, those poverty guidelines have not changed. They have not. Things cost a little bit more, and like the ladies have stated earlier, the pay has changed, cost of living has changed, and a lot of these regulations based around income have not caught up to where they would need to be. So things look a little different than the way they used to look a couple years ago compared to what they're looking like now. Um, like families are paying more just for a gallon of milk and their um, jobs may not have increased their pay, and it kind of puts them in a rock in a hard place, but we're going off those federal poverty guidelines, and with the federal poverty guidelines being so low, it puts them at a disadvantage because they're right above the cutoff, and it's not fair to them that they're no longer essentially classified as low-income families.
0: Right. Right. And we hear about issues like this in so many programs that are based on income. And uh, if a person or a family just happens to go a dollar over that threshold, it can be the difference between being eligible and being not eligible. And um, Andrea, how how positive or how confident are you going forward that uh, you can get these changes in place so that these eligibility requirements can can better serve the needs of your community?
10: Um, I think it's not going to just take the um, National Indian Head Start Directors Association in itself, but it's going to take all these communities coming together, getting their tribal leaders to speak at these tribal consult consultations that they have and everybody really, really being a big advocate for Head Start, whether it's reaching out to your local congresspeople, having your tribal officials always advocating for Head Start and ensuring we're all sharing the same story. We're all across the different nations, but we all have the same message. And it's all in to support all these Native American children and families.
0: Well, Head Start programs and uh, their challenges and their impacts in tribal communities. That has been the focus of our show today here on Native America Calling. Wonderful discussion. want to thank all of our guests who joined us today. Lola Henry, Andrea Pesena, Ann Shade, Alicia Allard, Kathleen Sando, and also Mary Ellen Fritz. Appreciate all of you spending time with us today here and uh, informing us and educating us on how Head Start programs function and operate in tribal communities. Hope you'll tune in again tomorrow as we take a look at tribes working to stop the fast spread of a fatal neurological disease affecting animals like moose, deer, and elk. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce.
3: Support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Contenders by Tracy Sorrell. Illustrated by Aragon Star. The story of John Mayers and Charles Bender, the first two native pro baseball players to face off in a World Series. This and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Native American-made gifts at Ho-Chunk, Inc.'s Sweetgrass Trading Co. include food, beauty, and wellness items from across Turtle Island. Christmas delivery available for orders placed by December 18th at SweetgrassTradingCo.com. Ho-Chunk, Inc. supports this show.
8: Yat eh, honest and get on a chin and then again, betcha yadahot at all Open enrollment, Hat nenege, Medicare and the marketplace, holongo at ela. It's east which on, based on not nenege, at all needs. At out of night, kid nenege now holongo, aya, at Ms. Ango da body not healthcare.gov, beating the east, baseball is now one eight hundred three one eight twenty five ninety six. Korohan el yagi aya, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, aya. Yeah.